Welcome to College App 101. I'm your host, Dr. Riley. Succeeding in high school is challenging, and applying to college is overwhelming. I hope my comments here ease the tension you may feel. It'll benefit you to think like a college admissions counselor. She's the lady who will read your application to Spelman or UVA. He's the guy who will handle your application to Holy Cross or McAllister. I work with many such professionals. They're great people and committed to helping you apply to their school. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. 60 years ago, November 22nd, 1963, wasn't a Wednesday. It was a Friday, the week before Thanksgiving week. For many Americans, it's a day that they seem to recall vividly. They all remember precisely where they were, what they were doing. My parents, including my in-laws, can identify their precise grade and the reactions of their school's administrations to the national news. My dad's story is probably the most spectacular. As a young Marine, his ship was anchored off Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, of all places. The words they use to describe the day are a little dark. Shock. Anxiety, gloomy and eerie. Some important things happened that Friday, events that had far-reaching tremors, tremors that are still felt in the words of classical historian Edward Gibbon, still felt by the nations of the earth. By the way, Gibbon wrote those words with reference to the fall of Rome and the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I'm speaking in part about the day President Kennedy was assassinated. For American history, world history, even popular culture, really, the death of John Fitzgerald Kennedy is extremely significant. It's even more significant in the Southwest, where I live, because the American Southwest is a location of various events surrounding the tragedy, including Kennedy's visit to San Antonio on Thursday, November 21, 1963, the assassination itself in Dallas, and so forth. What's more is Kennedy's successor, Lyndon Baines Johnson, a Texan, had a home in the Texas Hill Country, a home known as the Texas White House. Now a national park, it's close to my home and features various references to the assassination. Given my background as a professor of biblical studies, there are some features to Kennedy's life that fascinate me. For example, in the Bible, the Hebrew Bible and New Testament, various figures lead parallel lives. In American history, Kennedy led a parallel existence in some ways to President Lincoln. Listen to these similarities. Both were inaugurated in the 61st year of their century, the 19th and 20th. Both were Northerners. Both lost a child to death while in office. Both were assassinated. Both were succeeded by Southerners with the family name Johnson. I could go on, but those similarities suffice. Kennedy actually had a speech prepared to deliver in Dallas that fateful Friday, November 22, 1963, a speech that went undelivered due to the calamity. The speech concludes with these words, quoting Kennedy's speech. We in this country, in this generation, are, by destiny rather than choice, the watchmen on the walls of world freedom. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our power and responsibility, that we may exercise our strength with wisdom and restraint, and that we may achieve in our time and for all time the ancient vision of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That must always be our goal, and the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. For as was written long ago, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. 
Hats off to President Kennedy for incorporating not one, but two biblical references here. He quotes the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 14, words spoken by angels, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He also quotes the King James Version of Psalms 121, verse, sorry, Psalms 127, verse 1, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Again, the speech was never delivered, but it bears witness to a segment of American history memorialized today. Information like what I'm explaining here is fascinating because it's fabric in the blanket of history. College-bound students, what are you doing to develop your fascination with learning? What books are you reading? What conversations are you having? Are you getting to know any new and interesting teachers who are pricking and developing your intellectual curiosity? It's been a while since I've raised these questions to you, but they're important They're important because colleges want to admit intellectually curious students. They want to welcome students with a love for learning into their community of scholars. Having spent many years on college campuses as a graduate student, faculty member, and academic advisor, I can say most people, all people, at least most people that are part of a college's academic apparatus love to learn. They're intellectually curious, professors, graduate students, librarians, advisors, and showing that you too love to learn will be an ascent, will be essential in winning admission to Cornell, UT Austin, Scripps, Case Western, UCLA, Rice. The colleges I just rattled off are selective, but all colleges want ambitious learners. A love for learning is inborn in some students. As you think about your high school classmates, some of them probably come to mind, but in other students, a love for learning needs to be developed and cultivated. How do you do that? Here are some ideas. Spend time with others who love to learn. I hope my love for American history and biblical studies is rubbing off on you. In your schools, there are teachers and students who love their subjects and are excited about their favorite classes. Invest time with them. Get to know them. Another tip, take classes from teachers who are known to work their students appropriately. More demanding teachers always did more for me than the less demanding. And if they're quirky, even better. One dear teacher is memorable because he was passionate about grammar. During lecture, as he touched on a topic of particular delight, his eyes widened and a quirky, crazed smile crossed his face. His fascination became my fascination. Another idea? Hands-on experiences inspire learning. If you can have these outside the classroom, great. Visit museums. Go to historical landmarks. I live within a short drive to President LBJ's Texas White House. I wasn't even alive during his lifetime, but I love visiting there because it brings into focus a fascinating span of American history. Walking through the house, the hangar, and the runway sort of fills me with awe given its role in American history. Lastly, with your parent or guardian, evaluate if your daily habits outside the classroom are enhancing your learning. If not, make adjustments. Is binge-watching that TV series all day Saturday and Sunday making you excited about Monday morning's learning? How about gaming until the wee hours of the night all summer long? Are you eager to start school after several weeks as a gamer? Remember, successful people have learned to reject habits that hamper their goals and adopt habits that help their goals. Another passing happened on Friday, November 22nd, 1963, that is also worth memorializing today, 60 years later. All death is tragic, but given the age of the deceased and the way he died, this one is less tragic than President Kennedy. 
On Friday, November 22, 1963, one Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, passed away at his home in England. My earliest memory of C.S. Lewis is an elementary school teacher reading aloud to my class the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the lead book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. That was probably the most memorable and greatest read-aloud book I ever heard. It opened a world of wonder. Eventually, a classmate in elementary school alerted me to its sequel, Prince Caspian. I still remember the, I still remember the thrill I felt discovering the lion story continued. If you don't know the personal story of C.S. Lewis, it would be worth your time to learn. He was a university professor and author. His writing career was absolutely sensational, and he played a significant role in helping the British find comfort and hope during the Second World War. His autobiography, written after World War II, bears the title, Surprised by Joy. If I were stranded on a desert island and could have only one C.S. Lewis book to read, I would choose That Hideous Strength which is the conclusion to his space trilogy. The book has a college setting, which I appreciate, given my background in higher education. In addition to his books, Lewis was an avid letter writer, corresponding with adults and children about the books he had written. In 1985, a volume of his letters was published by Lyle Dorset and Marjorie Lamp Mead. It's called C.S. Lewis Letters to Children. They published letters excuse me, the published letters span the last two decades or so of Lewis's life. I'd like to read the book's foreword, which his stepson, Doug Gresham, wrote. It testifies to Lewis's tenderness and ability to relate to children. Gresham says this, I first met C.S. Lewis late in the year 1953. I was only eight years old but then, but I can still remember our meeting. My mother said, Jack, this is Doug. Doug, this is Jack like grown-ups always do, and we shook hands. Jack was his nickname, you see, and all his friends called him that. His real name was Clive Staples Lewis. I think Jack was nicer. From the very first, Jack and I were friends. He showed my brother and me all around Oxford, where we climbed right to the top of the famous Magdalen Tower, up a dark, narrow spiral staircase that seemed to go on forever until at last we came to a short ladder and then out into the bright sunlight high above the roofs of Oxford. We could see for miles. In 1956, Jack and my mother were married and I went to live at the Kilns. This was the name of Jack's home. Many houses in England have names and this one was in the middle of eight acres of garden with woods and a lake. Jack was the exact opposite of all the stepmothers in fairy tales. He was kind, jolly, and generous. He bought a pony for us. And when I got interested in canoes, he bought me a kayak. He even let me paddle him across the lake in it. We explored the woods together and went for walks. Sometimes Jack would give me some pages of things he had written and ask if I liked them. I usually did, but if I didn't, he was the kind of man who would listen to what I said. After my mother died when I was 14 years old, Jack and I became very close. You see, mother loved Jack and mother loved me. So for Jack and me, a little bit of her lived on in both of us. One of my strongest memories of Jack was the evening after my mother died. It was the first time I ever saw a grown man cry. He put his arm around me, and I put mine around him, and we tried to comfort each other. Jack, too, is gone now, but he lives on for me and my memory, and for all the world in his writings, and for you in this book. I like that. Over the years, I've learned something about the waning days of C.S. Lewis's life. For example, when illness forced him into a nursing home, he requested two books— 
E.R. Edison's The Worm Ouroboros, Vintage Fantasy, and the Latin poet's the Latin poet Virgil's The Aeneid, the epic poem about the founding of Rome. Some years ago, I tried Edison and failed, sadly. Virgil was easier. Important for our purposes today, Lewis wrote a letter on Thursday, November 21st, 1963, to a boy called Philip. You can find it in his Letters to Children book. Lewis writes these words, Dear Philip, to begin with, may I congratulate you on writing such a remarkably good letter? I certainly could not have written it at your age. And to go on with, thank you for telling me that you like my books, a thing an author is always pleased to hear. It's a funny thing that all the children who have ever, ever written to me see at once who Oslin is, and grown-ups never do. I haven't myself read the puff and reprint you refer to, so of course miss the fault, but I will call the publisher's attention to it. Please tell your father and mother how glad I am to hear that they find my serious books of some value. With all best wishes to you and them, yours sincerely, C.S. Lewis. The next day, Friday, November 22nd, 1963, 60 years ago today, Lewis breathed his last, but he leaves a rich tradition of wonder to readers of all ages. Have I increased your love for learning today? If you say yes, I'll count myself twice blessed. But regardless of how you answer college-bound students, know that your colleges want to admit intellectually curious students who are fascinated with learning. If you're not excited about Kennedy, Johnson, and Lewis, that's okay, but be sure to find fascination with another academic domain. If you've enjoyed this and other College App 101 podcasts, please share them through social media, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or my website. Until next time, I'm Dr. Riley, your pre-college advisor and independent educational consultant. For more information about succeeding in high school and college apps, visit my website, collegeapp101.com. That's college, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, app, A-P-P, 101.com.